to Blissfully Aware, the show in which three opinionated people discuss what's going on in fandom and nerd news in general. My name is Bliss, and as always, I'm joined by my two lovely co-hosts, Kelty and Kendra. Hello. Hello, everyone. Man, I always croak when I Me say too. hello. I'm hello. Like, hello. <laughs> so... Today, we are going to have ourselves a very special episode! Yay! Our very first very special. In honor of Autism Awareness Month that is coming up. That's this month, right? That's this month, isn't it? I don't know. Americans have, like, everything <laughs> Everything is, like, ten different months. Yeah. Like, March was Women's Month or something? Yeah. I don't know that. So, I don't keep track. Autism Awareness Day was April 2nd. Okay. So. Okay. Autism Awareness is whenever you want it to. <laughs> Autism Awareness Month is every month because I am autistic and aware of that. <laughs> so yeah, we had a special request from my sister, my lovely little sister. Shout out to Bliss's sister. Yeah, she's a sweet bean. She's the best. But she wanted to hear us talk about autism and autistic coding and autistic representation in media. So Kelty here was put in charge of coming up with some good and bad examples. And we are going to chime in along the way on why they either rock or suck. The only two options. <laughs> <laughs> when you're autistic, yeah. Has to be very black and white. Yep, as our token Spurg. <gasps> That's me! Should we, I mean, I know you don't mind if I call you that, but well, maybe the podcast listeners mind. It's an affectionate use of the term Spurg. I prefer the term Spurg. I think it's fun. So if you don't like the term Spurg, that's totally valid. Super heckin' valid. valid. <laughs> so, Kelty, right off the bat, explain to me autistic coding in characters in media. Autistic coding in characters can really kind of be anything that an autistic person, like, identifies with in a character. I personally, whenever I headcanon a character as autistic, they're just kind of weird and socially awkward and very loyal to their friends, <laughs> typically. A lot of times, like, if somebody is coded as to having something that they really love, like it's their favorite thing, a lot of autistics will be like, they're autistic coded and that's their special interest. My favorite example of autistic coding in a personal headcanon, but not uh, confirmed in the canon, is Lilo from Lilo and Stitch. Her special interest is Elvis. And she's a little weird. She doesn't really fit in with a lot of kids. She's kind of violent. Uh, autistic kids can be a little bit violent. Has difficulty regulating her emotions. Yeah. She's dealing with a lot. She's also very attached to the people who understand her. Like, and she's never specified as being autistic because a lot of people just think that autism and, and kids are kind of the same. <laughs> <laughs> but but I promise that if you ask an autistic person who's seen Lilo and Stitch, they're like, oh no, yeah, she's definitely autistic. And I think that's something 
like specifically in the film, in the text of the film, it is possible that they're attributing her outbursts more to her like recent trauma yes. of losing her parents. But she's pretty young, right? She's supposed to be like six or something. Uh, yeah, six or seven, I yeah. think. So, like, depending on how long ago, like, her parents died, like, this could be, like, a like a comorbidity, like, her autistic traits could be presenting alongside this trauma. So it's, it's difficult, but she is, like, having her behavior, like, observed and whatnot by, like, government social workers. And- yeah. The a thing that I really appreciated with Lilo and Stitch is that I personally also had a childhood trauma, several, but you know, one specific childhood trauma, and then like, you know, kind of started showing signs of being autistic, and my parents didn't really understand it at the time, and like, you know, it was the early 90s, so obviously not, but um... Yeah, upon talking to a therapist later in life, because I actually didn't get diagnosed until I was 20, she was like, yeah, that seems to happen a lot, where people just kind of write it off. Like, if you deal with a childhood trauma, they're like, oh, she's just traumatized, like, it'll it'll even out. I would think especially for girls. Yes. Because autism is so underdiagnosed in In women, yes. And that's another thing that I really like, is that Lilo is a little angry, violent girl who dealt with some <laughs> serious trauma and her sister still loves her and she's still a lovable character and that's just... Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's definitely not, like, a trauma doll yeah. type character. Like, her trauma and behavior is understandable and still a problem, obviously. Yeah. It, it, she's not treated like... I don't know. I'm sh- I am remembering that that nuclear take from last year where Ugh. like someone tweeted about how Lilo is actually abusive to her 20-year-old sister. 20-year-old sister. <laughs> like tiny traumatized 6-year-old Lilo yeah. is actually an abusive problematic character yeah. and I don't want to entertain that take at all. <laughs> it's bad. Well, also but- that take was unearthed as to written by a fucking like alt-right psychopath. Yeah. Yeah, they were like an alt-right furry or something. (laughs) So fucking do it, whatever, who cares? um, Yeah, I think you can have a character who's... I guess what I'm trying to say is that her behavior and her characterization is very un-Disney-like. Yes. Like, to this day, I am shocked this is a Disney film. Me too. Because it is the most, like, anti-Disney film I I think they've ever produced, (laughs) maybe. (laughs) And to have your main character, who you're supposed to sympathize with, like, in... Bite a girl. In her first scene, like, in her character introduction scene, freak out and bite her classmate and punch her in the face (laughs) is a lot for Disney. Like, violent girls are usually not sympathetic heroes because, you know... People are misogynist, but mm-hmm. and yeah, Disney is nothing if not safe with the yeah. movies it makes. Yeah. So yeah, the fact that she can be she can be struggling in a very real way, I guess that is not just kind of like quietly weeping in her room, like I, I think most Disney characters or Disney princesses at least would. Yeah, I also I just thought it was very it was very important to me as a tiny spurgy autistic child and only child that Nani was so supportive of her and like cared about her like the scene that is the most important to me is when she gets fired from her 
stupid fakey luau job. And when Lilo is like, is it my fault? She was like, the boss was a vampire. And like, kind of made her feel better about it and like, played along with her in a way that made her feel safe and still cared for and loved and like- And not at fault. Yeah. And I will Mm -hmm. take your side no matter what. You're my sister and I love you. And that was a very meaningful moment for me as a kid. She loves Lilo and it's beautiful. And like, as the older sister of an autistic uh, kid, <laughs> uh-huh. I found Lilo and Stitch to be very helpful as well because I saw myself in Nani. Yeah. Having to recognize that, you know, you have to be kind of selfless being the older sibling in that scenario. So it didn't 100% strike me at the time because the movie came out around the time that my sister was still uh, very violent. Yeah. (laughs) That she was acting out possibly because of grief. I was just like, oh, Lilo's also autistic. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, autistic coding. We get a lot of that in media. A lot of just layering on all the typical traits without ever saying the word. Yeah, I don't know how I feel about that a lot. Like, I appreciate it in some ways, but sometimes it's like, I wrote this down in my notes, but just like, it's the new bisexual, where it's like, Mm -hmm. I don't like labels. And like, I don't speak for every autistic, but I do speak for me. I love labels. Labels are nice. I have two label makers. I I put labels on everything, and they're kind of important to me. And so it's a little irritating when people are like, we don't use labels in this house. He's just different. And it's like, okay. (laughs) All right, well, that's fine. Why does that upset you? Because what I, like, strive for is for the family or those close to the person to, like, accept them for what they are. And so when people, like do everything except say the word autistic, it feels very much like how my dad used to call my therapist my person, because he was too awkward to refer to him her as a therapist. And it's not always terrible, like how in a lot of autistic coding, they don't say it, obviously, because it's just coded. All of my autistic coding examples that I have here in my notes are characters that I really love. So it doesn't always bother me, but it bothers me when it's supposed to be obvious that the character is autistic and they still don't say the word. Like, they're just kind of like, you know, he's just different. Making it sound like a dirty word. Yeah, kinda. It's just frustrating. Like, it doesn't always get to me, depending on the context. Especially in, like, you know, period pieces or whatever. Obviously, they're not going to have the word. The son in uh, Mindhunter, his son is autistic. One of the... uh, Detectives. Main characters, yeah. He has an autistic son, but this is set in, like, the 60s, so obviously they don't have the word for it yet. They acknowledge that something is different about their child, and they're working with it, and they want to be better parents for him and all this stuff. So it's a little different. Like, they didn't do it in atypical, but it felt like they wanted to do it in atypical. You know what I mean? Ugh, atypical. <laughs> we'll get to atypical. That's gonna be later in the episode. <laughs> Uh, But yeah, to your point, context is king on this show. That is my favorite, favorite thing to say because (laughs) I don't begrudge them not saying that they're autistic outright because in the context of the show or whatever's happening in that moment, it wouldn't make sense to have a sit down 
talk directly into the camera <laughs> The more you know. <laughs> well, yeah, because, like, on my list here, I have Haru from Free as Autistic Coded. And, like, I honestly don't see how you can watch Free and not be like, this character is right? <laughs> barely verbal autistic. <laughs> and his special interest is swimming. And that's his, that's his whole character. But obviously, they're like 16-year-old kids in Japan, so there's no, like, turning to the camera moment and being like, Haru is autistic! And that would feel weird if they did. And I also don't even know if the creators intended it. No. I just, watching that character, I'm like, there's no way. Like, his character does not make sense. <laughs> so, what are some good examples, then, you feel, of autistic coding and characters? Um, yeah, I was gonna say, I really only have those two. I have a lot of, like, I don't watch Criminal Minds. I have a lot of friends on the spectrum who do watch Criminal Minds, and they really love Spencer Reed. I know that he's, like, he doesn't mention being tested, I don't think. I, when I when I was doing research, I'm pretty sure he is not confirmed yeah. Like, he doesn't have a diagnosis. Not as far as I recall. Yeah, he is just one of those characters who is the stereotypical stock autistic character. Yes. Of like... White boy likes math. Yeah, white boy who's good at math. <laughs> and very detail-orientated and, you know, has a photographic memory. Yeah. The Rain Man character. Exactly. That stereotype. The savant. <laughs> Basically, just a little more, like, functional otherwise. Yeah. I do, um, I don't remember if it's confirmed by her in the series, because I only read the first book. But in the Millennium series, Mikhail calls Elizabeth, like, he says that she probably has Asperger's. And I remember- I'm pretty sure Elizabeth Salander, yeah, has Asperger's. Yes. And I appreciated that, one, because women with autism are very rare in media, and two, because she's a fucking badass mm -hmm. <laughs> she is so cool and i love her <laughs> she gets to be violent which is nice okay so yeah you're right in the series the character mikhail blomkvist speculates that elizabeth might have asperger's syndrome but her mental state is never definitely described from the wikipedia directly like, that's okay. another thing. Like, I consider that coding. If other characters speculate on it, mm -hmm. I consider that still pretty much coding because it's not like, it's not like they say it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess it kind of depends on the context. That's another one that really kind of depends on the context because I don't really consider Sheldon Cooper to be coded. But, you know. Why not? Because he's not crazy. His mother had him tested. Which was such a funny line, he said it like 400 times. But why is that not coding? I feel like- because you don't like the character? No, because they quoted it. I have the quote here. Some viewers have asserted that Sheldon's behavior is consistent with Asperger's syndrome. The writers have stated that they did not use Asperger's syndrome as a basis for the character, but instead thought his actions as quote-unquote Sheldon-y, which is gross. Sheldon- Sheldon bothers me because whether or not he was intentionally autistic coded, it's... A joke. 
yes, it, eventually it's definitely the character path they took. Like, yeah, it's it just also very disrespectful. Just the way that his character is portrayed as a joke for being atypical <laughs> or neurodivergent really contextually it just bothers me yes as i know it bothers a lot of people who are neurodivergent i'm sure that they did not sit down with the intention of writing an autistic character Mm -hmm. but i think that so many characters in our media who are you know kooky science types basically nerds and nutty professor type stock characters are influenced by Autism. Like, I think that trope comes from neurodivergence and how those people might seem odd or strange, and that's, like, where you get, like, a kooky, nutty professor stock character from, that then people reinforce without even knowing or considering, apparently, that that's why a character or a real human being might think or be that way. Like, that quote is just super revealing that, you know, the writers of Big Bang Theory aren't very good or at adding depth to their characters and I don't think that's a hugely controversial take in 2021 to say that maybe yeah that maybe Big Bang Theory has bad writing but I'm sure they didn't yeah sit down with the intention of crafting this character with the idea that he is autistic they just sort of you know appropriated a bunch of tropes and those tropes themselves are autism coding so like they've done it even if they didn't realize or intend that's what they've done like i think that the coding can be there without them having intentionally put it there absolutely another one where they throw a bunch of coding in but never actually say it and while i think it's mostly respectful is abed from community yeah. It's it's a lot of that mishmash of stereotypes. Yes. I I agree that I that they just kind of go with it later like like it's been confirmed, but like in the first episode Jeff is the one who's like you're autistic or you have <laughs> Asperger's. I can't quite remember what he first says. Abed is another character that I actually very much appreciate as autistic representation mainly because He's not a white man who likes math. (laughs) Yes. That's just... It's refreshing. That's just the (laughs) only thing that gets... It gets really frustrating. He's also... He's got my special interests, which is film and television. I I feel very represented in Abed. I like his character. I don't know if it was always handled well, but none of them were always handled well. No, and I definitely think that after... Donald Glover left the show, they didn't know really what to do with Abed, so he kind of went off the deep end. In the episode, uh, the one where they're doing a fake detective thing because somebody's putting quarters in people's butt, uh, the butt crap bandit, yeah, there's a point in which the dean asks Abed explicitly, can't you just, like, figure it out, and... He has this really good, and I don't remember it word for word, but this really poignant way of saying, you know, so many TV shows based off this bad trope. It's painful. Of yeah. oh, yes, like a man, yeah, a man glances at a crime scene or something and immediately just solves the mystery by reconstructing events perfectly in his head, and he's he's basically infallible crime detector machine. Yeah, mm-hmm. like they do it. The Mentalist, they do it with House. 
They do it. Sherlock. Numbers. Y'all remember numbers? Oh my god. Hated numbers. Numbers with a backwards three instead of an E. Um, Hated that. Yeah, so that, especially in the like late 2000s, early teens, that was basically all that was on television Mm -hmm. was a white man who nobody liked because he was a bit of an (laughs) asshole, but he had a, he had a superpower, which was either solving, you know, crimes or medical mysteries or it was really just those two um (laughs) (laughs) well because crimes is is vague like yeah crimes crimes are like sometimes it's a murder sometimes it's a number crime (laughs) like in numbers (laughs) um and because he has this superpower everyone else on the show has to tolerate him which you know, leads to all kinds of kooky antics and stuff, and that's where a lot of the drama and the tension comes from, because the drama doesn't really come from the mystery, because you know that your perfect, infallible mystery-solving machine is just going to be wheeled onto the set mm-hmm. in the third act, mm-hmm. and everything's going to be fit together. And, like, credit where credit is due, not all of these shows are of, like, an equal quality. Like, I think House, particularly, starts to deconstruct that trope, Yes. Later on in its series, at least by the time I stopped watching it, which was around <laughs> season five. <laughs> I would never say that, like, the character house is autistic. I would. Um, Kelty would, that's fine. But Speaking of headcanons. In the diegesis of the show. Like, no one ever claims him as autistic, to my recollection, at least. But, okay, so in the episode of house in season three where there is an autistic child who is the the case the patient yeah yes house tries to use that as a reason why he needs certain things i think that's when he's trying to get his carpet to stay the same like this is after he got shot in season two and he wanted to keep his bloody carpet and so Am I the only one who's remembering this much about House? Okay. No, I know no, what I you're remember. saying, but you're okay. describing it in the craziest possible way. Okay, well, he gets shot in season <laughs> so, two. Yes, the character House gets shot in season two in the hospital, in his yes. office. Like, a crazy patient shoots him, and uh-huh. they don't find him, as far as I know. They no, don't find the shooter. But he's but, credited as Moriarty in the episodes. Ha ha ha. <laughs> so there's this blood stain in House's hospital... Office, office on the carpet. Yes, and he wants to keep it because he's a weirdo. Because he's very. He's like, stubborn. I want to look at this blood stain every day <laughs> and remember that I conquered death. Me, Gregory House, MD. Like a That's little my bit. boy. And you know, obviously, his boss, his boss is like, "That's insane," and we're getting rid of the carpet. <laughs> it's a biohazard, babe. Yeah, House is faking autism so he can keep the bloodstained carpet. <laughs> kind of. Okay. That's very that's very on brand for the character of House. Like I'm not mad about it. Yeah. Like that's no, the uh... kind of shitty thing he would do. Yes. The autistic character from that episode was interesting because it was a nonverbal child and then mm-hmm. the solution was thinking well, how do I communicate with them the way they can communicate with me? Mm-hmm. Yes. So I did enjoy the way that that was handled. Because that was in early days of actually explicitly saying autistic on TV. Yeah. Yes. And visualizing it or conceiving of it, like, of anything outside, like, the Rain Man 
Mm-hmm. Uh, trope. Yeah. Yes, I don't think that in the diegesis of the show, like in the text of the show, Gregory House is necessarily autistic or has Asperger's or anything like that. But I do think that that is a case for a subtler example of coding. Mm-hmm. Because yes. I do believe that Gregory House is a variant on the, like, nutty professor stereotype. Yes. Of just yeah. ha- this guy who is exceptionally skilled in this one arena... And so because his skill is always in demand, like, he is he is needed by the other characters, he can kind of act however he wants, and how however he wants to act is, like, you know, an antagonistic jackass. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I do want to point out, I didn't watch a lot of The Mentalist, and I hated numbers, but <laughs> in the other shows, the autistic-esque character was very much, like, idolized by the other characters in the show, if I'm remembering correctly. Yes. And while House was, like, idolized for his intelligence, everybody except Wilson, and even Wilson at times, desperately hated him. Yeah, you're right. Like, even at its inception, like, early seasons of House, they go out of their way to acknowledge that House is a jackass. Yes. So that's a more honest deconstruction, I guess. Like, it's not correct to call it, like, a fully deconstructed character. Mm -mm. Because, yeah, like, that brilliant white man who comes in and saves the day in The Mentalist or in House, or not in House, but in The Mentalist or in Suits, even, like... (laughs) That one, he's a lawyer. Um, (laughs) Well, there you go. It's a different... Well, not really. It's still crimes. Like, everyone adulates him despite him being not a great guy like yeah. if you if you think about it for even like a minute mm-hmm. so even though they are still utilizing some of the same tropes in the character of house i do think that the fact that they start by acknowledging that he is a he's not a nice person otherwise yeah. makes for a much more honest and also interesting character because now at least the rest of the characters have something to do other than just like be jealous of the the great one in the yeah. <laughs> two other characters that are confirmed quote unquote autistics mm-hmm. are Abed and JJ from Skins. Skins is garbage, by the way. Don't watch it if you haven't watched it unless you like garbage television, then it's great. But in season three and four, there's a character named JJ who is a confirmed autistic, and he's just, like, perfect. Every other character in this show is a fucking douchebag. (laughs) Nobody is good. They're all assholes to each other and themselves, and they're, they're all just mean, angry teenagers who hate each other and their families and their lives. It's terrible. In Community, it's kind of like that, too, where all the other characters, really, except for Abed and Troy, are just, like, awful. They revisit that joke a lot, how Abed is, like, (coughs) the good one. And, like, as nice as that is... It's a little infantilizing. uh, Yeah, it's just a little infantilizing. Infantilizing? (laughs) Infantilizing. Yeah. I got you. Infantilizing (gasps) means to kill children. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's not good either. Um... (laughs) But, like, yeah, with JJ and Abed, it's very much like, oh, look how good he is. Look how, like, sweet and adorable. And, like, that's that's nice and everything, but I'm not nice. <laughs> I mean, I can be, but I'm not, like, a 
I mean... Sweet little innocent bean. I disagree a little bit on your characterization of JJ. I don't think he's... Like, I think definitely other characters infantilize him, but I think in oh. the writing, it definitely... He expresses that he hates that. And no. that he's, like, a bit of a pushover, and he hates that too. JJ is by far the nicest character, and I feel that's kind of the same with Abed. And Abed, too, in the show is often like, I'm not a coat rack. Stop treating me like I'm a child. I know what I'm doing. But, like, everybody still kind of treats him like he's, like, an infant whenever they want to take care of him. There are definitely moments in Community where Abed needs to be taken care of. Oh yeah, well and JJ too. There are times where he does not have his shit together. (laughs) And like, personally that was one of the things about Abed's characterization that bothered me, at least in the earlier parts of Community, because then things got a little weird when Dan Harmon like left for a season, but (laughs) they definitely are like too indulgent of Abed, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To a point where it's, like, detrimental. <laughs> and it's confusing, because, like, there are definitely some episodes where they're like, we can't be too indulgent of Abed, that's just going to, like, hamper him going forward in life. But then there are also episodes that are like, we must indulge Abed because he's the magical fairy man who, like, <laughs> holds our friend group together <laughs> with his whimsy <laughs> Which is, like, a much more immature way, I guess, of grappling with a character like that. I think Dan Harmon has this problem where he writes one character as himself. And even though that character is a bad person or does bad things sometimes, the show and the story and the other characters can never sufficiently rebut him because Dan Harmon personally just can't imagine himself ever being wrong. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I think you see that to a lesser extent in Abed because Dan Harmon has talked about realizing that he's possibly has Asperger's through writing Abed specifically. He's mentioned in interviews. So the show has this kind of like dissonance where they want to acknowledge that Abed can't live in a fantasy world at all times if he wants to be an independent human. But at the same time, like, they they over and over underline how sad it is that Abed just can't be, like, a mystical hermit living in the (laughs) woods with all of his movies and stuff. And, like, oh, like, wouldn't that be be better for him to just, I guess, be alone and, like, totally indulgent in his special interests and stuff? They never really refute that. Like, they're never... There's never a time where the characters or the story is 100%, like, Abed grow up like we have to move on and so they they very much want it both ways and i think both shows suffer for the fact that they don't have a clear answer to this problem of whimsical care like this whimsical character who's like has some character flaws never has to grow or manage those character flaws because the show and the story just keep proving them right Yeah. And, like, as somebody who does want to be a hermit alone with my special interests all the time, but I also, I really hated whatever the characters would call Abed, like, a fairy man, or, like, just, like, a a fantasy, like... (laughs) There's there's one line specifically where Troy calls him, like, a mystical elfin man or something, (laughs) and that's the one that sticks with me. Every time, and, like, there's a couple lines like that where they refer to Abed as, like, mystical in some way, and every time I'm like, eh, 
again, like, I, I'm aware that, you know, fiction is not reality and I'm not Abed. But, like, I have been kind of treated that way before, where it's like, oh, you're just so, like, this is such a nice way to think of things and you're just so special that way. And oh, I'm just like, what if we could, Ugh. if only we could all be as authentic as you, like, just live in our own kooky world. Exactly. Like, well, so, while talking about mystical fairy men, because <laughs> most of my examples of bad autistic coding are, are male. <laughs> yeah. Most most autistic characters are male. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, I think Elizabeth Salander is the only one I can think of right now. And also there's that cartoon cat lady from She-Ra. Yeah. Is it the cat lady? I thought it was a different character. Oh, I thought it, I thought it was like a species of cat ladies. And oh. Trapta. I don't think... Sh- mm. Well, I know that the writer said she's autistic. I just don't know if they did that in like a J.K. Rowling Dumbledore's game yeah, kind it, of way. Yeah, if it's like a paratextual claim <sighs> or if it's like in the text. Because I think it would make sense if a character from a from a space world, you know, not our society doesn't have a name for that sort of behavior. Oh, yeah. Like, and at least not the same name. Like, I've read a book, um, uh, Neil Stevenson is the author, it's called Anathem, and it's it's basically an alternate world where there there is definitely a character who, like, is autistic and consistently is, like, described as being, like, moderately autistic, even, and... The other characters in this fantasy world don't have the word autism for it, mm-hmm. but there's like at least the knowledge that these sorts of people exist. And yes. like mm-hmm. the the main character knows that you have to like look him straight in the eye and tell him exactly what to do and yeah. stuff. And so it's not like I can understand that there's like circumstances in fiction where a character might not have that exact word to describe it, but they at least know it as a concept. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's kind of what I meant earlier about, like, in context, if they're not using the word autistic, but they know to treat him differently and, and appreciate that difference in him. Sometimes, contextually, it makes sense because they're not gonna, like, in Game of Thrones, if a character is autistic, they're not gonna be like, oh yeah, Wex is autistic, because, <laughs> like, why, why would they do that? <laughs> they don't have psychology. Yeah. <laughs> It'd be autistic, but spelled weird. Yeah. <laughs> With a Y. <laughs> and an A-E for no reason. Yeah. So I just I just looked it up. According to Wikipedia, yeah, um, the character Entrapta is, like, paratextually confirmed as autistic. They wrote her that way intentionally, even though it's not ever said in the text of the show. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I've heard that before. Entrapped is the one with the giant purple hair thingies. Yes. Ah. There's also, I do have to say, the autistic Muppet on yes, Sesame Street is also Muppet. a girl. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Which I appreciate. She's also very cute. I haven't, obviously, I don't watch Sesame Street, but I, I've seen clips of her. And she's very cute. Her name is Julia. And I know that she has a lot of scenes where she's wearing headphones. Yeah, to sound arrest. Yeah. Yes. It's cute. Yeah. I think it's cute too, yeah. I appreciate it. But yeah, so one of the examples I don't like is Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close. I don't think either of y'all have read it. No. No. It falls into the type of story in which the 
special boy who is hard for society to understand because they're just weird can make all these grand adult decisions and everyone just kind of has to play along with it oh good healthy a little bit like the book of henry (laughs) (laughs) oh okay i'll kill my neighbor extremely loud and incredibly close is definitely aiming to be like heartwarming and not deeply unsettling (laughs) yeah it i mean i don't find it a heartwarming story but no god no but that is what it's attempting at least for sure and the film (laughs) definitely isn't a good representation of the book but the book itself is also not great and i say that (laughs) (laughs) with jonathan dropper being my fucking favorite author like sorry bro uh But so yeah, the idea behind the story is Oscar's father dies in the Twin Towers and Oscar finds a key in his parents' closet. And so he goes on this wild goose chase all across New York looking for what the key unlocks because surely it's a message from his dead father. Well, yes, because his father, like, would do that. They would, like, have scavenger hunts and stuff. Yeah, for the sake of shortening the description, um, he goes on this crazy wild goose chase and he meets all these people and they are like, this kid's weird. And <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they figure out what the key goes to and it's very anticlimactic and it's more about the journey of his mother dealing with her strange son's grief because that was yes. his way yeah. of processing it. Yeah. So while I don't think it's bad, I don't think it's good. That's fair. A lot like The Good Doctor, a show I hate. <laughs> <laughs> I like Freddie Highmore, though. He's so cute. Oh, yeah. yeah. He's adorable. He's, it's also filmed in Vancouver. Is it? It is, yeah. Aww. So so was Bates Motel. So Freddie Highmore has been here for like 10 years. I Aww. still picture him as like a 13-year-old, though. Like, I'm like, oh, he's like a tiny little baby. And then I'll see a photo and I'm like, oh, well, he's an adult. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> no, and I mean, The Good Doctor is, uh, he's a character that is neurodivergent and he's a doctor. And the show is about him, like House, being a medical crime solver <laughs> okay medical crime uh, crimes against medicine <laughs> and he has to uh, grapple with the fact that he's incredibly intelligent and he knows how to you know get from point a to point z very efficiently but also being able to function in the hustle and bustle of a hospital and being able to have interpersonal relationships with his co-workers and a good bedside manner and all of that on paper sounds good, right? Yeah, that, that sounds it sounds a little bit like house again. It sounds yeah. like not house bad. but boring, but that's okay. Moving on. It's just incredibly flat. There's nothing to it whereas house like and I'm not even saying like stakes-wise. There's stakes in like their medical cases where, you know, they have to do something or the patient will die and you're invested, uh-huh. right? But mm-hmm. he is played as a very flat. You cannot uh, empathize or see yourself in him or talk to this kind of character. And I understand where they're coming from trying to characterize him as being the type of autistic that is hard to communicate with just on a basic level. But yeah. it, it, I just don't feel it's portrayed well at all. Like, I don't I don't think that they can get that point across. <laughs> Yeah, I get what you mean. That's kind of how I felt with Atypical. I was just kind of like, I don't think that this is very well done, because 
I can tell that they're trying to make him seem harder to understand things that he seems to understand on, like, a base level. (laughs) Well, so tell me a little bit more about Atypical. I know you have a lot of feelings about Atypical. Okay. I'm just gonna- okay. I only saw the first season of Atypical. I read, actually, that due to a lot of pushback, because I'm not the only autistic who watched Atypical and thought, fuck you guys, um... Apparently, in season two, they hired some autistic writers. So this is just about season one. I'm sure season two and three are better. Uh, I hope. Anyway. Um, On paper, Atypical also seems kind of good. It's just that, to me, it was a little frustrating that the point of the show was we have to take care of this autistic kid. Like, the whole school wants to take care of this one autistic kid. Mm-hmm. It felt very othering in its desperation to make it be like, we accept you. To be as unproblematic <sighs> as possible. Yeah, yeah, and I was like, whoa. Because, like, they, they make the prom like a headphone-only prom. Like, they don't have music playing over the oh, speakers. like a silent disco? Yeah, they do a silent disco-type prom and all this stuff. And, like... Atypical very much infantilizes its main character, and the thing that bothers me most is that the main character, like, wants that, and Mm. wants to be treated this way, and wants to be catered to consistently. Babied. And, And most autistic people that I know don't actually like how much they need help. Even when we're not very independent people, like for one, I, like I can't drive and I like to have my girlfriend drive me around because I get nervous on the bus. But even then I'm like, this is frustrating. Like I'm going to force myself to take the bus more often because I don't like needing this and all that stuff. Like, And most autistic people that I know are a little bit like that. So it just kind of bothers me how Sam Gardner is the main character of the show. Of, uh, of Atypical? Of Atypical. Okay. And, like, his whole family, like, his mom doesn't have an identity outside of her son, which... She is just the mother figure. Right, which is, like, a point in the show. Like, she definitely struggles with that in the show. But then they kind of make her seem like a... They way overdo it and make her a bad person for, like, struggling with... Her son. So does the show think that that's a good or a bad thing? Like, do they portray her, like, martyrdom over her son's neurodivergence to be good or to be bad? To be good. Okay. She's a bad person when she starts to struggle with that's not being... With not taking care of him yes. all the time, 100%. Okay. And, and it bothers me because, like... That's, that's unfortunate. Yeah. The minute that she was like, okay, my son's, like, wanting to be more independent, she just spirals. And it's like, whoa, <laughs> that's not, that's not okay. And, like, the show is like, look what a terrible mother she is because she wants to give her she, son some independence. Because she wants any anything, like, just for herself. Yeah. Like, um, it's it's one thing if that had been portrayed as, like, now that she's not taking care of her son 24-7, she doesn't know what to do and yes. has to has to grow as a character a little bit. But apparently her growth as a character is to, to cheat. Cheat on her husband, <laughs> yeah. They may have changed this a little bit in the second season. They may have made it a little better. I'm 
I'm only speaking for the first season again. His dad encourages him because he wants to start dating. Like, that's the point of the show. That's like the, the like, inciting incident. Yeah. yeah, that's like the inciting incident in, like, episode one. He wants to start dating. And then he decides he wants to start dating his therapist. Oh, no. That's unfortunate. <laughs> that felt very infantilizing to that me. That seems, like, that sounds like something that, like, a much less functioning person exactly and like Like they're trying to give someone who's like going to public school and like has hobbies and things like that and is like verbal and like can like can he like and he's intelligent yeah Yeah. smart like they're they're suddenly throwing this symptom or this characterization out there that is like way incongruent with how they've written him because they don't really understand how autism works exactly and that's that was frustrating for me because like even if he were, like, an older character, like, if he were in his 20s and the therapist is in her 20s, and so he, like, has to deal with having a crush on her, that would be less frustrating to me. But, like, as a 17-year-old, like, pretty smart autistic who's going to a public school and everything, that just felt like, ha autistic kids, man, what are they, you gonna do? They don't know how relationships... They just want to have sex with any any non-related person who pays attention to them, and it's like, wow, gross. <laughs> okay. And I also, this is really small, but I have to say it because it bothers the fuck out of me. His special interest is penguins, okay? Like, and that's actually the reason that I started watching the show, because... Aquatic life is one of my special interests, so I was excited. And then a frequently repeated line is penguins mate for life. First point, no they don't. Only one breed of penguin mates for life, and it's chinstrap penguins. And that's a minor thing that sounds like a minor thing to anybody who's not autistic, I understand. But the thing is, when you're autistic, Details are everything. Details are a very important part. And yes, you would say every time, chinstrap penguins mate for life. You would not feel like you could just coast over that. Yeah, uh, that's not something that can just be glossed over. This is something that I struggle with very frequently. People will misquote a movie, and I have to actually bite the inside of my mouth to not correct them sometimes, because I'm like, it's inappropriate. They got the point across. I understand what they meant. Uh, I don't want to be a pedantic asshole. I don't want to be a dick! (laughs) And, like, special interests, for those of you who don't understand, are something that just is just constantly in your head. You're just ringing with it every minute that you're awake. And to just kind of gloss over a special <laughs> interest and <laughs> have it. something so wrong. Yeah. And then, like, repeat it as, like, a motif over the and <laughs> over and over. And, like, again, it's one of my special interests. So I was sitting there the entire time, like, shut the fuck up. Shut up. Shut no, up. No, they don't. They don't be for life. Shut <laughs> And so, like, yeah, it feels like a minor thing. And if I were to write the writers and be like you fucked this up and it made it unwatchable for me they'd probably be like i don't see what the big deal is but like you know autism that's just how it works it's a a pretty critical detail to get wrong (laughs) yeah i'm banned from watching it at this point because i was mad for like days yep yeah uh so I feel like we would be remiss if we didn't mention an explicitly fandom based one 
which is Will from Hannibal. Yes. None of us watch Hannibal, but I have heard the case made many a time that he is autistic coded or the treatment of his character is treated as if he's autistic coded. I'm pretty sure that he refers to himself as possibly on the spectrum. Yeah, in in because we actually just watched the pilot recently. Yeah, Kelty, Kelty wanted to give it a shot. Yes, in the pilot, he considers himself on the spectrum, but I and he is like he is a doctor, like not a medical doctor, but he at least considers himself to be on the autistic spectrum. I don't think he's ever uh, diagnosed. diagnosed. They definitely reference it in his neurodivergence. He's definitely an explicitly neurodivergent character. Yes. Even if they don't land, like, hard and fast on autism. Right. So, I guess to wrap up, do we have any, like, grand concluding thoughts on on the state of autism in the media? Do we have, like, it's... I would think we would assume it's gotten better, but it's it's definitely gotten better. It's still pretty rough. It's still not great. I think what we should take away from this, even though I haven't watched season two and three of Atypical, it was very relieving to know that they hired autistic writers. And I feel like if you're going to put a character in your show or movie that you want to portray that way, you should have sensitivity writers who are on the spectrum. Or readers, at least. Or readers. Personally, like, there's a lot of discussion, I guess, in the discourse about how autism diagnoses diagnoses have kind of exploded in the last 20 years. Like, it seems like the new thing that everyone gets diagnosed with, like young children, like who are like, you know, in their early adolescence now. And to me, I think that largely has to do with the fact that our definitions of autism have gotten broader because in the past, you really only were noticed if you were like incompetent or like incapable of functioning. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And now that we understand, you know, slightly more, like, I don't want to give us too much credit about what autism is, like, people who might not have ever been diagnosed in the past are being diagnosed now. Like, there is definitely a range, like, the first, I think, autistic character that most of us can recall is Rain Man. Mm -hmm. Yes. Like, because that was a character who, like, couldn't live alone. Like, that was someone who was so low-functioning, sorry, Kelty, that they couldn't take care of themselves, basically. Mm-hmm. And so those were the those were the cases that, I guess, defined the early, like, criteria. And now that we sort of understand that these behaviors exist on a spectrum of, like, mild to severe, mm-hmm. people who would never have been diagnosed in the past are now being diagnosed and so yeah like not all characters need be rain man (laughs) no well then before i close us out i forgot to do this last week but y'all have any special interests you've been jamming on anything we've started watching peaky blinders yes good it is really good i'm watching it on the recommendation of my mom because my mom has never raved about a tv show like this to me before so i i'm enjoying it so far we have almost finished season one yeah it's got basically every well-known english actor in it at some point how about you i have been watching boku no hero academia and i've been having a grand time (laughs) (laughs) oh is it fun 
It is fun. I had read some of the manga before and then just never got into the show because I wasn't sure I was going to like it. But I do. I like it a lot. And yeah, there's some uncomfortable similarities between my personality and Bakugo's personality. And he's, on the surface, terrible. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I've definitely had those moments. Telling people I identify with him is tricky. (laughs) Yeah, I get that. I mean, I personally don't think we talked about Haru enough in this episode. (laughs) No. Well, like, and that's another one, too, is that, yeah, I identify a lot with Haru. Bliss and and Kendra are both my Makotos who have to- Bliss is your Makoto. Bliss is- yeah, Bliss is my Makoto. I am your Rin. Kind of my Rin. (laughs) I'll come in and get you out of the bath! (laughs) Yeah, a little bit. Because I think- I think, yeah, uh, Haru from- from Free, the swimming anime- I don't think his- I don't think his character makes sense if he's not on the spectrum. I don't like, think so either. Yeah. I don't know what is wrong with him otherwise. <laughs> because, because I gotta say, like, for a sports anime, Free is pretty down to earth. It's just a bunch of teenage boys being melodramatic over swimming because, you know, they're teenage boys and they feel everything at, like, a 10. Mm-hmm. And Haru doesn't feel anything at a 10. <laughs> well, he does, but it's all on the inside. <laughs> And God, like I, I, I literally can't make sense of his character otherwise. Well, yeah, because just everything he wants is to swim. He wants to swim with his friends. He he gets like weird and poetic in the water. He's mm-hmm. like the water's like being born. Yeah, he. <laughs> but like when I first watched it, I was like, "What is wrong with Haru? He's a fucking idiot. He doesn't even talk. Why do his friends hang around?" Yeah, like he's like. And, like, I think, I don't quite remember, I think it's that his parents live and work in Tokyo for most of the school year. So he's, like, 16 and just, like, living alone in his small town, and Makoto, like, goes to get him every morning to go to school, (laughs) because otherwise he will just sit in the bathtub all day, silently, (laughs) thinking about swimming. I genuinely did not understand his character until I watched 50% Off, which is on YouTube, and you should watch it. It's hilarious. 50% Off is fucking great. Watch it first. His character made so much more sense to me after watching 50% Off. Well, yeah, like, Kendra and I were watching it and, like, joking about it and having a grand old time. And then, like, towards the end, Kendra was like, he's, like, a barely verbal autistic. Yeah. And I was like, and everything, oh like, my like... god! <laughs> and then immediately I was just like, oh no, I love him now! He's a swimming savant. And, like... I mean, basically! Like, and I'm, sh- I'm certain that this was not their intention no. when they wrote this character. But, like, they just made him a little too weird. Well, like, because, like, okay, skate gonna mention skate now they do the same thing with the red oni blue oni characters characters. yeah they have like the the fiery sparky red one and the calm blue one right the blue oni in skate speaks like a normal person and functions like a teenager (laughs) he can get himself home he dresses himself (laughs) on time stuff And goes to school, and he doesn't need his friend to make sure he isn't 
living in the bathtub. Or doesn't need his friends to physically restrain him from undressing in the middle of a mall so he can climb into a fish tank. That happens! (laughs) And, like, it is played for a joke in Free in, like, a montage. Like, it's, it's like, one shot in a montage. Since we brought up 50% off. But... Hang on. Okay. The thing about, like, I could see that joke in Skate or something a little more ridiculous and over the top and be like, he didn't really try to, like, climb into a fish tank. Like, it's a joke about how weird he is. Like, they're they're exaggerating for humor. But the thing about Free is that most of the other characters have, like, very normal teenage boy problems and motivations and stuff. Yeah. And so the fact that there's just one friend who is just, like, needs a minder. Yeah. And, like, only ever feels comfortable in the water and is just always thinking about swimming and doesn't talk to his friends hardly ever. And, like, I don't know what else. I don't know what. Like, he's too weird for the show for it to just be, like, flavor. Yeah. For for just to be, like, style. So I... I, I literally cannot make sense of his character if he is not on the spectrum. Yeah. But yeah, first off, I saw 50% off before I saw Free. And when there was that scene in Free, or in 50% off, rather, where he took off his clothes to get into this fish tank, I was like, that was some cool editing this, like, creator did. Yes, like, we assumed... Octopimp, that- I think. Is yes. The- yeah. We assumed... When we saw that shot, because there's, like, a giant black sensor bar over him, we were like, oh, they just, they edited in that sensor bar. Yeah. And what's really happening is that, like, his friends are just kind of, like, hooking him by the elbow to, like, drag him to the next shop. Yes. And he was just staring at the fish (laughs) a little too hard. Yeah. But no. Which is a mood. But no. (laughs) The real, the real context of what is happening in that scene is that... Haru is staring at the fish tank, and in his brain, he's like, I'm going to climb in the fish tank because I don't want to be in this store. (laughs) (laughs) And so he gets undressed, and he has his swimsuit on under his clothes, and is about to climb in the fish tank when his friends stop him. Yeah, and um, when you rewatch Free, and you're like, Haru is a barely verbal autistic, then you're like, oh... Everything makes sense now. Yeah, suddenly his character is far more understandable. (laughs) And sweet! And then you're like, oh... Yeah, so there's that. Yeah. Yeah, And, like, I think that is a good... I think that is the only example I can think of that I'm aware of where the creators, to my knowledge at least, clearly did not intend for that. No, But I think think that coding and reading of that character is an improvement. Yeah! (laughs) Like, is an improvement on the material. And, like, yeah. It was, just a, I, it was a total accident. Now I love Free. Because <laughs> the main character is just really, really autistic. It's just like you. <laughs> except his special, his special interest is swimming. Yeah. Like, I can't overstate how much. Anyway. <laughs> you think we talked about the thing? I think we talked about the thing. Um, so... Y'all, fucking, if you're on the spectrum, if you're explicitly autistic, we love you. Yes, I wish you better representation moving forward. And drop your favorite representation in the comments. Yes, oh, we, yeah. we are not 
gods of popular media, if there is a, a book or show or film that had a portrayal that you really like, lay it on us. Yeah, or if you disagree with any of our takes and you think that somebody that I said is bad representation is good representation. We want to know! We genuinely want to know what y'all think. And if you ever have a drama, let us know. Because honestly, I definitely, like, I mean, I just got done talking about how much Haru means to me as an autistic character, and he's not even... No, that's 100% coding. So... And, like, unintentionally. (laughs) Yeah. And he's not a healthy character, so, like, it's not... (laughs) It's not great that I'm like, no, he's perfect. So, like, yeah, drop drop your favorite representation. Let us know. Favorite does not mean best, and best does not mean perfect. Yes. Like, Mm -hmm. I, I I am a firm believer of resonating with characters or narratives that are not necessarily healthy or good or unproblematic. Yeah. Like, I I resonate with a lot of stuff that is a celebration of how messy and dysfunctional human beings are. Yeah, and you know, Absolutely. us as Spurgs were pretty problematic, so... <laughs> yeah, you can't just go biting your classmates, Kelty, God. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely did that! Uh, so if you want to find us online, you can find us on... Instagram and Twitter at Blissfully Show. I post links to our YouTube videos there. If you're watching us on YouTube, punch that bell, like, subscribe, comment, all the things you're supposed to do on YouTube. Drive engagement with the algorithm. Yes. Uh, also, you could just gently touch the bell. This this is an autism episode. We don't yes. want to bring the oh, bell yeah. too loud. We we want we want nice <sighs> sensations. Quiet, no bad textures. Soft. No bad textures, no bad noises. Uh and then until next time, y'all. We love you. Bye. Bye, Bye everyone. Little miss, I'm gonna put my hand directly on a hot stove because mom told me not to. I can't believe you're calling me out like this.